All right, welcome to the class today. This is Romans chapter number 12. Romans chapter 12. This is also Romans class number 39. Romans class number 39, chapter 12 and verse number 1. We started in chapter 12 last time. We'll try to get a little further in it today. I would ask you to forgive me. I've had a little cold and a little bit congested. And I'm sure that'll show up in the form of coughs and gags and all sorts of things. And I ask you to forgive me of it while we push through here and try to get through as much of chapter 12 as we can today. And we'll start back in verse number one and recover a little bit of this material uh, from last week, uh, maybe in a more contextual sense than we did last week. But here we go. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now, this is a great passage of Scripture. And the one of the most wonderful parts of this passage of Scripture is most often left out during the explanation of it. Of course, there is a sacrifice here. It's a living sacrifice, and that living sacrifice has a couple of adjectives attached to it. Number one, it's living, and then it's holy, and then it's acceptable. It's a sacrifice. It's not a sacrifice in which something is offered up by means of death, but the sacrifice is offered up by the means of living. And so it's a living sacrifice. There's not many instances of those things in the Old Testament law. If the thing was sacrificed, it was either given away or it was killed. But here is a living sacrifice. And so it's something you get to keep. You get to keep your life. and But that life is sacrificial in the sense that it becomes holy. And it becomes acceptable unto God. Which is, of course it says it's your reasonable service. But when, it, when I say that it's acceptable... Uh, then I have to say that acceptability of the sacrifice means that it is pleasing to God rather than pleasing to yourself. Or it's acceptable unto God, which is that it's no longer a life that's acceptable to you. Although uh, I would certainly hope that a man in his Christianity following the the process of the divine nature, adding to his faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge temperance, etc., that the living sacrifice of your life being disciplined into holiness and acceptability that is acceptable to God rather than to your fleshly mentalities, I would hope that those would be pleasurable to you as well as to God beneficial to you as well as beneficial to God in his purposes and so in that sense uh, I would hope that it would be acceptable to you as well but the first thought is is that it's acceptable unto God now here's the wonderful thing that often gets overlooked in this passage (coughs) pardon me I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God the fact that we could be holy or acceptable or that that God would accept our lives without being killed. You know, the wages of sin is death. But the fact that we get to live, that is by the mercies of God. 
And so a man could say reasonably, uh, aside from the scripture, a man could reasonably say that men cannot be holy. Now, you can make a very accurate biblical argument that men can be holy. <clears throat> as a matter of fact, the Bible says holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So it's proven beyond question that men can be holy. But just in a, in a manly, fleshly outlook or viewpoint of man, if a man was just looking on man in his fleshly state, in his fleshly nature, well, he would find it very hard for that man to be holy. But this also is a mercy of God, that God would, would bestow upon us the sacrifice of his son, the benefits of that sacrifice, and that the holiness of that sacrifice, which is Christ, could then be passed on to us. We've had his righteousness imputed to us, placed upon our account. We've received, his, we've received the favor of God by the merit of God's Son. So it's a great mercy that we would be counted worthy to even offer our life as a holy and acceptable sacrifice unto God. <coughs> and then recognizing the advantages and the blessings of living under this mercy and under this mercy presenting our bodies a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God the the afterthought of that uh, urges Paul to say which is your reasonable service when you consider how much God has done how faithful he's been and what a wonderful plan that he had for our redemption what an awful time that he placed himself under to bear the burden of our sins, to sacrifice himself spiritually and physically to pay for our sin debt and then allow us into that grace, allow us into that mercy, allow us into the divine nature of, as we mentioned out of Second Peter chapter 1, then it's reasonable that we would put some effort into it of our own uh, mind of our own will of our own uh, volition it's it's very reasonable for us to commit ourselves unto him after he has committed himself so much unto us and so this brings up verse number two and be not conformed to this world but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God and so verse number two it not only speaks of uh, conforming uh, to the world or conforming to the Spirit. But it talks about a transforming. And to me, this speaks of repentance, even though the word repentance is not in the verse. So back in the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 6, the Lord said it repented him that he had made man, and it grieved him at his heart. So I believe this change of mind, which certainly is, the idea behind repentance. God at one point said for Moses to stand aside, I'll make of you a great nation and I'll destroy this hard-hearted, stiff-necked Israel. Well, Moses made intercession for Israel. and The Bible says that God repented him of the evil which he thought to do unto them. Well, that, 
that clearly defines what biblical repentance is. It's a change of mind. It's not a change of direction. God was not God was not doing anything that he had to stop doing. He had it in his mind that he would, at a future time, perform an action. No actions were being formed whatsoever. But a change of mind occurred before an action even took place. And, and the Bible called that repentance. And I fully trust in the Bible to give me the information that I need to make my doctrinal decisions about what things mean. And certainly repentance means a change of heart. But what we see in Genesis chapter 6 also adds to that thought that with that change of mind, there is a grief of heart. That's why we, when we talk about penitence, we're not talking about changing anything. We're talking about being sorry about being wrong or being, in, in God's case, God was not wrong. But in our case, many times we are wrong. And in some instances, uh, we are... Uh, we're sorry that we've done a thing even if we know that we were right or that we were justified in the action to begin with one of life's great maturing effects one of life's uh, great lessons that you'll learn is that sometimes you can do a thing and the thing be right the thing is not lewd or wicked iniquitous in any in any way shape or form <clears throat> but it turns out to be the wrong thing and it turns out to be perhaps the wrong thing because of timing or because uh, when others are concerned you just can't do right by others sometimes you're wrong no matter what you do the decisions are, of others are never going to be fully under your under your power it's just we don't have power over others uh, other people who have a will, whether you believe the will is defiled or depraved or, or not. Uh, it's just that we as men are going to see that we can't control the lives of others. And sometimes we'll do things that are right and we'll regret it later just because uh, of the effects of life and people and so forth and so on. So you wouldn't say that God was wrong for making man. But you have to admit that in Genesis chapter 6, God said... That he repented of the fact that he made man. In other words, I, he's basically saying in the in the words that an unwise man might use. I, I'll try to use the the words of an unwise man uh, to explain the concept. Uh, in no way, shape, or form, saying that God is unwise. But in the words of an unwise man, we often say, "I wish I wouldn't have done that." And we're, we literally mean, we wish that we would not have done it. And in that sense, God who is not unwise, God who made man and the earth and everything that was made in wisdom and knowledge, he created them in stability and with purpose. But in his heart, he said, I wish that it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have happened. I wish I wouldn't have done it. And along with that, uh, that idea, that concept, when he said it repented me that I make man, that I made man, and the Bible says that it grieved him in his heart. It's in that sense that I believe that uh, that we that we as Christians ought to uh, be looking at our former lives in the light of salvation, 
He says, be not conformed to this world. That is how we lived our unsaved life. We lived our lives conformed to this world. And that brings up very much Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, living according to the course of this world. We were children of disobedience and we were living according to the course of this world. But now he says, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that is, that is the concept of repentance right there. The changing, the renewing of the mind. My mind was fully set. My mind was fully convinced. Uh, my mind was dedicated to a cause. It was dedicated to a concept. It was dedicated to a, a precept, a principle, a creed, whatever the case may be. But now, once you're saved, the Bible calls you to come out from among them, be ye separate, saith the Lord. And that same mindset is in this verse. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. But how can an old mind transform itself away from the things that it loved it cannot god has to give you a spiritual mind he has to give you a divine nature second peter chapter one will probably visit that thing world without end but it the divine nature that concept that that is placed in second peter chapter one is a universal principle and it no more uh, so than you'll find it here in romans chapter 12 be not conformed to your old way of thinking. Be not conformed to the world. Uh, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And that there's no better way than I, that I could explain uh, to you about how to do that than to study the scriptures, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. There's no better way than that that I know of uh, to discipline yourself, to, to come to a daily form of repentance to where your mind is being renewed, it's being changed. The old concepts are being stripped away. The new principles are being placed into your mind. And the dying of yourself daily, the mortification of the, the flesh and its deeds uh, on a daily basis and the renewing, the uh, inspiration that comes from the Word, the, the aspirations that should come from that, uh, the new, by that I mean the new goals, the new things that you see are possible on a daily basis, the ways in which the Bible causes you to hope, whereas the, the world and its courses caused you to grieve and despair, and uh, just the multitude of ways that the sinful world and the sinful flesh depressed you so the the new mind the new man the mind of christ in the new man inspires gives hope gives joy gives peace <coughs> that's what's being talked about here in romans chapter 12 uh, i would hope maybe in a in a place where i was in a better state of mind uh, not sick, not coughing my lungs out, 
Uh, perhaps I could explain that better. I hope that I've explained it at least in a way where you could run with the concept and see these things in this passage. I hope you'll take it and run with it. Uh, but for the sake of time, we, we've got to move on through this. Uh, but let these two passages of Scripture be in your mind always as you live. This is, a, this is one of those passages of Scripture that you would do good to remember on a daily basis and as often as you can. Another is, uh, there hath no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. That is a great passage of Scripture. Romans chapter 7 is a great passage of Scripture to remember on a daily basis. Ephesians chapter 6 where it talks about putting on the whole armor of God and the fact that you're not wrestling against flesh and blood but against spiritual things. This is, these are great verses to remember uh, on a, I, when I say a daily basis, I just mean often when you when you've got failures. Remember this verse. When you have temptations, remember out of Corinthians about all men being tempted the same. When you facing a hard battle, especially in your spiritual life, uh, Ephesians chapter six. But remember those things and remember that uh, that as a Christian soldier, the book of Timothy, that there is a constant need for the retraining of your mind and the retraining of your mind by repetition, repetition of the scripture, repetition of prayer, repetition of preaching. Those things are what are to be considered here in Romans chapter 12, especially in verse one and two. And so he says, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. <coughs> that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given unto me, back to the concepts of verse 1, not just telling you to present your bodies a living sacrifice, but in consideration of God's mercies, it's reasonable for us to present our bodies a living sacrifice. That's the same mentality as in verse 3. For I say through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to, the, not to think of himself more highly than they ought to think. The, the higher that you think of yourself, the less need you will have for making yourself a living sacrifice. The higher you think of yourself, the, the bigger your estimation of yourself the less you'll be able to transform. A, a, a high-minded man will rarely see the need to transform anything. The high-minded man says, I have arrived. There is no need for me to learn anything else. There's no need for me to change anything else. I have arrived. This is the place. But Paul says that that what he's about to say, he's saying it through grace. It's not enough to say that I live by grace, therefore I need not change anything. That's actually a position of pride. What he's saying is, he says, I'm telling you this from the perspective of grace, that you ought not think more highly of yourself uh, than you ought to think. Perhaps you're not the, a low-life scum of the earth scum bucket. Perhaps you're not the worst man that's ever lived. And that's why he's not saying here, I would that thou wouldst think of thyself as a scumbag on a daily basis. That's not what he says. But what he does say is, considering the grace of God, that's what's prompting him to say this. For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man, 
He says not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Perhaps you used to be a drunkard. You're not a drunkard anymore. That's Give God the glory for it. Absolutely. I would certainly say that. But I would also say, uh, if you're a, a man who is not a drunkard anymore, then you are certainly higher up in status than a drunkard. And I don't mean that in any sense of uh, royalty versus uh, peasants. I'm not talking about in that way of estimating things or judging things. I'm just saying that that there are men who are despicable and there are men who are not despicable. And so just because you quit smoking or something, don't think you're the king of the world or that you're the most spiritual man that's ever lived. Lots of people have uh, quit smoking and even some people that are lost and claim to be atheists have quit smoking. Uh, so, But we often see a little improvement in our lives and we begin to think, hey, I'm the greatest Christian who've ever, who's ever lived. Uh, you should be conforming. You should be changing. You should be growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You should be growing. You should be improving. Things should be changing. You, you, your life should be climbing towards the top. It should be making vast improvements on a regular basis if you're following the God of the universe, certainly. But he says, not to think of a man, not to think of himself, for a man not to think of himself, pardon me, more highly than he ought to think. And that'll keep you in a good mindset to where you will be able to be corrected. You will be able to see your own faults and failures and the discrepancies of your life. He says, but to think soberly. That just means to, to think rightly, to think with reasonableness, to think with steadiness, with stability, to see flaws as well as favors, to be able to see the, the ill or the bad or the evil or the wicked in your own life as well as the good, as well as the improvements. I've seen many improvements in my own life. But I see despicableness at the same time. And this is, this is the context of Romans chapter 7, especially as you get beyond verse 15. So he says, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Just think in a faithful way. In a, think in a way that is in agreement with the faith. And when the Bible talks about the, the faith, especially in the book of Jude, verse number 3, that you earnestly contend for the faith once delivered to the saints. He's talking about the collection of all those beliefs and doctrines, principles and precepts which we hold as true. And so the Bible says God has given to every man the measure of faith. And when he's talking about these things, he's talking in the sense of the church. Uh, he's talking about men in the sense of saved men who are predestinated to be conformed to the image of God's Son. You're saved. Your future is sure. You have a hope in heaven that's laid up for you. You're looking for the blessed hope, the return of Christ. Uh, but So God has said, that I've given all of you people. God's not telling lost men to present their bodies a living sacrifice. This chapter is talking to a Christian. Chapter 10 uh, chapter 9 dealt with the, the, the salvation of men. Romans 3 convinced you you needed to be saved. Uh, 4, 5, 6 on through those things. Chapter 10, uh, chapter 9 and 10, the, the seriousness of, of Paul's own people 
when it comes to needing to be saved, the manner of, of a man being saved, and those things being the same, whether God's dealing with a Jew or a Greek, those things have been covered. God's future dealing with those hard-hearted people have rejected, who have rejected the gospel. That's chapter number 11. Chapter number 12, now we're talking about men who believe. Paul is talking to men who have believed as he has, men who have accepted that salvation, which the Jews uh, thought themselves unworthy of in, that, in the book of Acts. We've talked about all these things on a regular basis over the past couple of classes. These things ought to be fresh in your mind so that you know what we're talking about. And ultimately what we're talking about, we're talking about now you're saved. Now this ought to be very clear. I've explained it to you, Paul says, chapter 1 through chapter 11. You know, you should know where you're at now. You should know where you stand now. <coughs> Excuse me. And you ought to recognize that this, is, this Christian life, is number one, in verse one, reasonable. And number two, God has, God has dealt to you. God has dispensed to you. God has dealt out to you a measure of faith that will enable you to do these things. There is not a man that's ever been saved that could say, I'm saved, but God hasn't given me the means and God will not give me the means to make the steps forward that I ought to make as a Christian. I believe that anybody guilty of any sin, any man that is saved and has reached a great level of depravity and relished it and enjoyed it and ruined his character, has ruined his, his future as far as man would see it. Uh, perhaps you've lived in such squalor that you may never become a millionaire. You may never establish great businesses. You may never even establish a great home as far as that's concerned. Uh, I know many men in this world have lived a filthy life, an unsaved life, wrecked their marriages, wrecked their homes, ruined their kids. And after all that, got saved, and there's not much chance or not much hope of fixing everything that he's ever broken. But no matter your level of depravity, there is not a man who is saved and is truly saved to whom God has not dealt a measure of faith so that he can begin the process of renewing his mind. You may not renew your family. You may not renew your finances. You may not even renew your health. But you can renew your mind. And you can begin to walk in a reasonable way, which is a holy way, it's a way that's acceptable to God. It's a way that follows the patterns of the will of God. And for more on that, you'll have to see the study in the book of Colossians, chapter 1. But suffice it to say, for now, God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. And you can take advantage of it if you're saved. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Now, as we reach about 27 minutes, I read those two verses there, verse 4 and 5, and I think that'll be a good place for us to pick up in class number 40. Romans class number 40. Wow. 
All right, we'll see you next time.